Hunger, safety, access. With more than 38 million students out of school and learning at home, students' needs have changed, and with them, our teaching practices must change. This includes how we approach trauma-informed teaching practices. Trauma-informed teaching practices involve many different aspects. One of those is meeting basic student needs. In times of COVID-19, trauma-informed practice is even more challenging to do. This episode is going to focus on how we can still meet students' basic needs, such as hunger, access, and safety, in order to continue teaching with trauma-informed practices. I would like to start with the basic need of hunger. As of 2015, 51% of U.S. students qualified for free or reduced lunch, and sometimes those students have access to food only at school. According to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the most basic needs are physiological. This means having access to food and drink when needed. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is explained in greater detail on the webpage. How are schools still meeting the need of hunger? Several things have happened over the past few weeks to make sure that schools can still meet this need. According to Corey Michelle, an author of an Education Week article, The federal government has granted waivers and passed legislation to make it easier for schools to serve meals to students during coronavirus-related school closures. Schools have currently found several solutions to this problem, such as grab-and-go bags or busing meals to home. However, every school is different. Some schools are really struggling to get this started. It can be a huge financial strain on the school. And when it's up and running, parents might have difficulty getting to the grab-and-go stations. Or they may choose not to go in order to social distance. According to Alex Abad Santos, author of the article How U.S. Schools Are and Aren't Providing Meals to Children in the COVID-19 Crisis, New York programs are seeing less meals distributed with one program dropping from 199,483 meals distributed on March 19th to 115,865 meals distributed on March 25th. This means that there are more than 83,000 students that are no longer getting meals from this program. Richmond Elementary School, the school I student taught at, is letting parents come and pick up meals during the hours of 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. Other schools are busing out meals. Annette Blake, a school counselor, participates in this. I've also, two days a week, I've been um, doing the bus run. So I go on the bus and I deliver food to, um, to a lot of our needy students. So I get to see a lot of my students then and parents so I can check on them that way too and so I kind of know what they're up to a little bit um so I've enjoyed doing that so just to get a little glimpse of our of our students however schools are doing it this need is still being met for many students another just as important need is a sense of community students need to feel connected not only to their teachers but also their peers these peer relationships according to the Pennsylvania State University quote Positive peer relationships make critical contribution to healthy social-emotional development. Children benefit from the social and emotional support that friends offer, and they learn important social skills by interacting with peers, end quote. When students are not in school, these relationships suffer, and for those students who struggle with peer relations, they almost vanish. 
In an effort to stay connected, teachers across the country are parading down streets with cars decorated with messages of love and we miss you. In a time of social distancing, how else can teachers make these connections and build a sense of community? Teachers are helping parents set up routines and working with them to continue their children's education. Morning meetings are continuing online, and according to Tanya Gerard, We are providing asynchronous learning, so the routine here has been set from the beginning. We provide families with a learning plan each Friday. The plan looks the same and includes links to video lessons with attached assignments. The entire week is provided at once so that families can set up their week however it works for them. Relationships are crucial, even more so in distance learning. Cindy Miller, a director of Columbia College, states that another way to stay in contact with students is to use video of yourself during lessons. Use phone calls to call your students, email them, or Zoom. According to Sarah Gosner, author of Seven Ways to Maintain Relationships During Your School Closure, Margaret Schaffer, a third grade teacher, has kids respond to daily prompts during her morning meetings. Kids can see each other's responses and react if they want to. She also makes connecting with peers part of her students' homework. Each student is assigned the task of connecting with one classmate. Then I'm asking them to write to me and tell me how, say, Jackie is doing today. They can decide how they want to check in, email, text, Skype, she says, adding that she sets up guidelines and models the practice for her students. Schools are struggling to still have a sense of community, and it can be difficult to make sure that sense of community still exists when students are not physically present. Holding morning meetings is one way we can foster these important relationships. However, what about students who don't have access to the internet and so can't participate in these morning meetings? Distance learning has made the chasm of digital divide matter more than ever, as many teachers look to online sources or communicate or hold classes through online resources, like Google Classroom and Zoom, and online educational videos, Prodigy, PebbleGo, the list goes on and on. So what do we do for students who do not have this access? According to the University of Washington, there are a few things we can do to build a bridge across this gap. The first and foremost being, quote, do not assume every student has access to the Internet 24-7. So try to cut down on the amount of tech you are incorporating, end quote. They also suggest making things as asynchronous as possible so students can do some work when they do have Internet access. And recording synchronous sessions. They also provide insight into using some tried and true methods of teaching, such as using multiple perspectives while teaching. These ideas hold true at an elementary school level too. But what about those students who have no access to the internet whatsoever? At Richmond Elementary School, there are a few students who are in this situation. There are a couple of different strategies that the school is trying out to ensure that students still have access to academics. The first is to send home enormous amounts of work that students can do on their own. For example, for one student, my cooperating teacher printed out several leveled books from reading A to Z and sent them home for him. These were extra and not provided for every student. Another option the school is currently exploring is the use of various companies that are offering free internet for students during COVID-19, such as Spectrum, Wi-Fi hotspots, and Altrice Internet. As students move to online classes, academics look a little different. According to one middle schooler I talked to, 
and everything we do on online schools is kind of easy. Academics online may seem easier for some, but for many students, especially students on IEPs, are still struggling. So how can we still meet the academic needs of our students on IEPs? Special education law has not changed. All timelines are expected to be fulfilled during this time. For special educators, this means that they must still be in compliance with laws such as IDEA and Section 504. Section 504 states that schools cannot discriminate against students with disabilities. IDEA focuses on student and parents' rights, as well as the school's responsibility for that child's education. Under this law, they must provide a free, appropriate public education, or FAPE, which, of course, will look different in the current climate. According to the Vermont Agency of Education, services can still be rendered using distance instruction. However, it is understood that not all services in an IEP can be done online, such as occupational and physical therapy. This is significant because it means that students who need these kinds of therapy are not getting what they need. It also sets a precedent for those services not having to be met. However, the Vermont Agency of Education also gives several examples of things that can be done online, like time extensions for assignments and sign language interpretation. They also state that IEP meetings may take place through phone calls or video conferencing. Richmond Elementary School is currently having a distance learning plan made for all IEP students and charging special educators with the task of making sure they record services rendered. My CT has been meeting with students online and sending out YouTube videos. For example, one of the groups that she works with is working on blending sounds using the Wilson program. My CT shared a video with the students asking them to watch it and then met up with them through Google Meet to work with them on the Wilson packet that got sent home with them. I have also kept these students in mind when contributing to the resources that students and teachers can use. For example, two of the students that I work closely with have a hard time with reading, so I made a website that includes a read out loud I have been working on. This website also hosts activities the students could do with the book. I made sure to include a video of me reading all the activities as well, so those students have access to them. In the end, schools are still adapting to distance learning, and we'll figure out some of the unanswered questions in this podcast. Like, how do we cover the needs of the school community in distance learning? I would like to leave you with a quote from Dennis O'Grady to help us get through this difficult time. Quote, change has a bad reputation in our society. But it isn't all bad, not by any means. In fact, change is a necessity in life to keep us moving, to keep us growing, to keep us interested. Imagine life without change. It would be static, boring, end quote. Schools will come through this and make it work until normalcy comes again. But until that moment, stay strong, stay connected, especially with those students who need us most. And most importantly, keep learning.